what we see and what we hear, and particularly the work that I know the mission do, is that the, the, the hunger that seafarers have when they do get into port and get to interact with the seafarer centres and the welfare visitors is constantly about Wi-Fi access. That's the be-all and end-all of everything that they want, desperate for SIM cards, etc. And I think that that is borne out then wherever it is. And if you've got a tantalising option of a signal that would make your life feel a little happier for 10 minutes, then I think, unfortunately, instances like that are fairly inevitable. People go and chase in the signal. Um, you know, thankfully, not all of them end in disaster, but, you know, how many come close at times? And I think that's the danger. We've got people that want access and they can't have it. And hopefully these changes to the Maritime Labour Convention will start to flick that switch, literally and figuratively, in the favour, and they will start to have the life on board that they want. And they want to be connected, and there's no other way around it. That's what they want, and that's what they need. And let's hope they get it. Welcome to the Shoreline Maritime Risk Podcast. In each episode, we'll look at real-time case studies, current events, and speak to the experts dealing with critical risks at sea. What really happens when a crisis strikes at sea? And what can you do to protect your ship? Welcome to this, the 16th episode in Shoreline's Maritime Risk Podcast. I have great pleasure in introducing our listeners today to Steve Jones, who's very well known to me as we've worked together in the past and also work together now on the on Shoreline's daily news broadcast. Steve is the founder of the Seafarer Happiness Index, and we have the opportunity to pick his brains about how he came up with the idea and what purpose really the index serves in terms of determining the happiness and morale of crew at sea today and how that has wider impacts upon operational safety and efficiency. Steve, welcome. Nice to see you. And uh, I'll hand over to you, if I may, just if you can give us a bit of background into your brainchild, which was the Seafarers uh, Happiness Index some eight or nine years ago, and really just give us a, an, an idea about how it works and, and where you've come in those last eight to nine years. Yep. Hi, Tom. Hi, everyone. Great to be here and part of the podcast. Yeah, Seafarers Happiness Index. I came up with the idea... I was working with a social media platform for seafarers called Crew2, and we were starting to think about issues that affect seafarers, how life is. We were looking at Maslow's hierarchy of needs that some of you might have come across, which is basically categorizing the kind of pyramid of what we as humans need or want in our lives. And that got us thinking about seafarers and how their lives are and the realities as they face them at sea. And we thought, well, that's great. And we started talking about those issues. But then the big vacuum that we all so often have is what do seafarers themselves think? It's great for us as former seafarers to rattle on and swing the lantern and talk about the old times. But it's really important to actually find out what seafarers themselves today are experiencing. And rather than just have a kind of flat survey that kind of generated 
a few useful sound bites, but nothing really more. We thought it'd be nice to start to mirror some other things in the industry, the likes of the Baltic Index, the Confidence Index that was around for a while, and really have a peg to hang up the data on. So we ask 10 standard questions every quarter of seafarers globally across a host of different aspects of their lives. They tell us how they feel about them out of 10. So how happy do you feel about connectivity, for instance, or your diet on board, access to shore leave, etc. And they tell us how they feel. And they also then go on to explain what the impact of those experiences are, why they feel that way. And really, that's as, as complicated or as simple as it is. And we get a lot of support and feedback from seafarers all over the world. Originally, as I say, it was based on work with Crew 2. We then got taken on very proud to be so under the Mission to Seafarers banner and it's been particularly fortuitous to work with a seafarer welfare charity such as the Mission that not only do they have chaplains and shipboard visitors going on vessels they have the seafarer centres and we're able to really dig deeper into the seafaring population than we perhaps already would so that's really the start of it and where we're currently at today. It sounds like a a very valuable project and the data from what you do must be seen as having intrinsic value to those that operate vessels at sea who is really consuming this data that you have now and how is it being put into is it being put to good use i think so it's sometimes hard to tell you do your best and you put these things out into the ether and you're never 100 percent sure where they're going but the interactions that that i get that the mission gets through it's media channels etc are very widespread from seafarers themselves who are interested and it, it helps inform some of their decisions certainly a lot of academic research seems to rely on it it'll be very often that you'll see that the happiness index quoted in various research papers etc and then through to the industry itself and I'm really pleased that over certainly through COVID, the interest that we've had from the wider industry, so particularly from media, pushing and promoting the findings, finally an outlet to let seafarers share what they're going through and experiencing. I suspect it's very wide and broad, the exposure that it gets. And so to me, what that means is that people are thinking about seafarers and they have a slightly better understanding of what seafarers experience and how they feel than they did if they didn't read it. So I think from that perspective, just allowing the voices at sea to be heard is hugely valuable. Yeah, and I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And of course, both of us are ex-seafarers. Yeah. And I think so firsthand, we appreciate, certainly at the time that we went to sea in the 80s, when our only means of communication with shore was the written word, Long, long voyage lens, long contract lens then for me was six months. And I certainly knew as I was entering the sixth, sixth month of that contract that I was mm -hmm. fatigued. I was ready to go home. And I think your operational productivity wanes in the, in this final sort of months of those longer term contracts. I can only begin to wonder what it was like for seafarers during COVID who were locked on board these ships for sometimes twice the anticipated contract length or longer, perhaps. And did you see any sort of significant change in your index during that time? Obviously, this is Shoreline's Maritime Risk Podcast, and 
we're keen to explore human factors and how they impact operational safety and risk management. And one of the one of the big issues I think is crew morale. It's about operating efficiently, having a healthy mindset and the ability to operate a peak performance for as long as possible. But when those contract lengths go on and on without really an end in sight, I think which is the most difficult aspect of it, you don't actually know when you're getting off. So it's very hard to pace yourself. It's, it's a marathon with no end in many respects. So in, just did you, have a, uh, did you notice any correlation between morale, happiness and that sort of COVID period where there were those extended contract times? Yeah. I'd just like the listeners to know, although I might look as if I've had a difficult paper round, I went to see in the 90s, not the 80s, but yeah, totally, that was the experience through COVID. It was what we termed the yo-yo years, and you could almost plot the spikes globally against happiness. So where COVID spiked, the data plummeted, and we got the impact of lack of shore leave, and that uncertainty and then all of a sudden you'd there was a suspected easing of lockdowns or the impacts or maybe the various initial kind of covid variants were falling away and then we'd get a bit more optimism sneaking back in so the quarters were down and then they were up a bit more and then some other variants had kick off and people were struggling again and, and so it totally mirrored the the impact of covid itself and we did. We got exactly that. Those messages that I don't know when I'm going home and I can't cope with that. And that just that sense of confusion, of a kind of uneasy waiting, but not knowing. And as well, as a lot of the kind of issues that Sifo spoke about was that difficulty communicating that back to their families at home, not just the difficulties in communicating We'll probably talk about connectivity, but the actual how to talk to the families at home about something that was so beyond their control, contract lengths just being rolled on and no sign of when they would actually be getting off. And we had lots of seafarers talk about the challenges of that, of those difficult conversations back at home of, you, you must know when you're coming home. I don't know when I'm coming home. And the pressure that we've we can perhaps appreciate, but very hard to really understand what it does to people. Absolutely. And that segues us quite nicely into another area of interest, particularly for Shoreline, given the content we've, we, we, have, uh, we have delivered via this medium on the issue of cyber security. Yeah. Obviously, there's a lot of noise in the press recently about changes to the MLC with respect to heightened obligations placed upon ship owners and operators to deliver a greater degree of connectivity to their uh, crews on board their vessels going forward. You might want to speak a bit about that. But really, with, with that comes the sort of cybersecurity challenge as well, which obviously has to give a de degree of uh, concern for the ship operators. How are you seeing ship operators respond to the new MLC obligation? And have you seen any or have you had any discussions around how they're going to manage that that risk gap that's going to arise as a consequence of this all, always on connectivity that they can hopefully try and deliver to their crews to improve happiness and morale? I think that the biggest tendency has been cautious positivity. Seafarers, from a seafarer's perspective, yes, it will be great to have 
mandatory access, but what does that really mean? How much is it going to cost me? What is the standard of that going to be? So until we start to see the full realistic technology picture emerge, they're still a little bit dubious as to what that will mean. From the operator perspective, yes, I think there is a little bit of fear of what the implications of this actually means. How are they going to deliver it? How expensive will it be? What will the impacts on those other issues, whether it's the kind of cyber hygiene and cyber security on board, or whether it's just the concerns that some of them do have about the impact on the social cohesion on board. I don't think that's so much of an issue because I think the message is so loud and so clear from seafarers. They just want connectivity and let them decide how they manage that. So I think there are difficult kind of teething problems ahead. But what we tend to see as well is that you get the almost the kind of bell curve, if you like, of excellent companies that provide everything that the seafarers could want. They're the kind of names that we could rattle off. You've then got at the far end of that, the terrible companies that, that probably aren't even companies, they're just people who happen to have some ships. And then in the middle, you've got this swollen kind of morass of all the rest of them jockeying for position on what this actually means, how they're going to deliver it, and what the implications of that are. So I think at the moment, it's, it's cautious positivism, but we don't fully know how it's going to be rolled out or what the implications are. Yeah, and I think one of the most dramatic illustrations of the lack of connectivity was the unfortunate case of the Wakashio back in 2020, which ran aground off the Mauritian coral reef. Whilst we understand the ship's master and crew were searching for better cell phone signals during the Christmas holiday period, now we can all empathise with, with the need for, for connecting with loved ones at home during the Christmas holiday, but not at the expense of, of the vessel and the coral reef and the environment and the safety of all, all seafarers on board. This is just one of the potentially devastating effects in a world where the seafarer understands the value of connectivity, but he's not given it. So it has the tools by which it knows it can try and contact loved ones back home. And that was in the, in, in the midst of COVID as well, obviously when all the points you just alluded to really were running running through the veins of these people and that they were at pains to to hear from loved ones and, and let them know that they were okay and what the intentions were in terms of getting back to see them and all the rest of it. So I think it's, it's obviously the IMO and the changes of the MRC are driven by real-world experience and perhaps that is one of those dramatic events that changes the course of regulation. I'm not sure whether it had an impact on it, but it, it seems to be, it seems as though it may have done. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. What we see and what we hear, and particularly the work that I know the mission do, is that the, the, the hunger that seafarers have when they do get into port and get to interact with the seafarer centres and the welfare visitors is constantly about Wi-Fi access. That's the be-all and end-all of everything that they want desperate for SIM cards, et cetera. And I think that that is borne out then wherever it is. And if you've got a tantalizing option of a signal that would make your life feel a little happier for 10 minutes, then I think, unfortunately, instances like that are fairly inevitable. People go and chase in the signal. Um, you know, thankfully, not all of them end in disaster, but, you know, how many come close at times? And I think that's the danger. We've got people that want access and they can't have it 
and hopefully these changes to the Maritime Labour Convention will start to flick that switch literally and figuratively in the favour and they will start to have the life on board that they want and they want to be connected and there's no other way around it. That's what they want and that's what they need and let's hope they get it. Have you had any sort of any feedback from the international group P&I clubs? I know that their claim statistics do lag somewhat but have you had a chance to correlate your happiness index against their rolling claims record to see whether yeah. there's any links to heightened loss activity with heightened loss of happiness as it were we haven't formally explored that although one of the sponsors of the happiness index is standard pni club so we work very closely with their loss prevention department and they are very much party to the results and we have discussions about the impacts of various things so the data certainly goes into that mix and of allowing them to perhaps understand some of these triggers better than perhaps they otherwise would have done. From an outbound perspective, it's not something we've done. We work very closely with a number of ship owners and charterers and do a benchmarking product for them, taking their fleet, their seafarers and benchmarking against the wider population and seeing the impacts of their losses, their problems, their kind of real-world interpretations, etc. So we're trying to grow not only the data, but also the amount of uses we get from it. Well, Steve, that's fantastic, and thank you for talking to us this morning. It's, uh, it's always good to hear about these uh, these fantastic initiatives that that people put their heart and soul into. I think it can only have a positive impact upon our industry's perception of what it means to be at sea yeah. and how that's going to evolve over time. I don't know if you want to end with any closing remarks, but it's been great speaking with you this morning. Yeah, no, thanks. And everything is about that seafarer's voice and working with the mission and their growing kind of footprint, and particularly as they're pushing out into the United States to provide the welfare for seafarers. But getting those messages about what seafarers experience, and so working with the Lexi yourselves, who it is important to, and getting that message wider and further and understanding that those fundamental risks that people face, it still is in the hands of humans. And, you know, we have to listen to their experiences and understand the fallibility, the mistakes, the things that happen. And But there are reasons underpinning them. And hopefully the Seafarers Happiness Index gives us a little bit of an insight into those really important factors. So it's an honour to speak to you, with you, and hopefully it's of interest to the listeners. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. We'd like to thank the show's sponsor, Maritime Insurance Solutions Limited. The world and life at sea is changing on a daily basis. Shipping companies and owners are facing evolving threats from political risk to increased maritime cyber risk. Shoreline has the maritime insurance answers you need to make sure your company is covered when crisis strikes. Shoreline are providers of specialist maritime cybercrime and crisis response insurance policies. To learn more about these specialist covers, visit www.shoreline.bm today.